0: Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by the Job Center Staffing. UDP community, we are releasing this episode in honor of Veterans Day. We are beyond thankful for those who have fought for our country, and we know that. Thank you will never be enough. We also want to bring awareness to the fact that veterans continue to fight the silent battle. Unfortunately, 22 veterans die from suicide every day. This week, you'll be wowed with a story of pure grit and determination of one of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet. Calvin, take it away. As Decker said, this is a
1: special episode with Corporal Josh Sams. Josh is a retired Marine sniper who did three tours in Afghanistan. And during his third tour on January 12, 2012, Josh stepped on an IED, which in turn changed his life forever. Josh, take us back to that moment and the events that led up to exactly what happened.
2: Uh, Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, It was towards the end of our deployment. We probably had like uh, three weeks left or so. And um, we were in what we call the RIP, where the unit that's coming in to replace us is coming out to, like, tour our battle space and check out the areas where we're living and operating. And they were sending out a cadre of higher-ups to do that that morning. So I took a small detachment of my sniper team, and we thought, oh, man, they see this crowd of people moving across an open field. This might get the bad guys stirred up. We might have some fun this morning. And uh, we just kind of went out into an area to give us an overview An elevated overview of just the battle space and we poked around in and out of some spots all morning and um, it was probably around noon um, we came to an area where we really hadn't had much foot traffic in before and uh, a couple of my guys punched a head down this alleyway and uh, they found what we call a rat tunnel under the wall where it looked like somebody had been crawling in and out I was like, ooh, this is kinda interesting. I'm gonna go check this out. You guys love that stuff. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> what is this? Who's been here? You know? And um we were kind of in like um a bowl-shaped area, and then the alleyway. And as you got toward the alleyway, there was like a step up change in elevation. And I remember kind of coming to where the bowl collapsed into the alleyway, and I braced my hand against the wall to step up, and as soon as I put my left foot down, the bomb went off I mean I knew instantly it was me and at that moment um, I had a picture of my wife in my helmet in a uh, ziploc bag just to protect it from my sweat and all the dirt and grime out there and it but it already faded a little bit it looked kind of old-timey which made me like it even more It was kind of cool and uh, when the bomb went off that picture flashed in my head and I'm like man I just screwed up Lindsay's life that was my first thought and then I hit the ground and I didn't know what was going on. I was all this noise in my head. Um I just felt I felt weird and like really weightless at that time. And just with all the uh dirt and debris that went flying in the air, um, you couldn't see anything. It was a complete brownout of like a like a brown fog. It was blocking out the sun. And um I just remember laying there and just the concussion going off in my head thinking Man, that was me that stepped on this. I don't know how bad I'm hurt. And I kept trying to sit up and I couldn't really move. And then I remember uh, the three guys that I was out with finally got to me, started assessing my wounds and telling me, you know, just lay here, don't move. We've got you. And I just I just laid my head back and let them start doing their thing. I could feel them, you know, pulling at my camis or messing with my legs, just putting tourniquets on and uh, just assessing me to see how bad I was hurt. And that went on for when well, it felt like forever for me, but it was only about 20 or so minutes before the medical helicopter got to where we were. Um, they had to pull me up out of the bomb crater in just a small hole that I was laying in and uh, move me out into an open field so the medevac helicopter could get in there. And I remember laying out there waiting on the helicopter and like I started getting like tunnel vision and fading out and I'm like, oh shit. Is this it? I mean, am I getting ready to die right here in Afghanistan in this shithole? And uh, I remember the helicopter coming in. I remember like feeling the rotor wash and the heat of the engines, and then I passed out. And I don't have any memory again until at least three or four weeks later when I woke up at Walter Reed um, in Bethesda, Maryland. And I had all this stuff, all these IVs and tubes and feeding tubes and drain tubes and just all bang, all banged up laying in the hospital bed. And it was like three in the morning. And uh, I came to, didn't know where I was. And I just started pulling all this stuff out of my face and arms. And the nurses came running in. I guess I punched a nurse. I don't remember that. Okay. <laughs> all right. And then. Uh, all right. I I still had the fighting spirit in (laughs) it. I wasn't going (laughs) to You still thought you were in Afghanistan. Yeah. And they they had to call my wife in and she tried to like, try to reason with me. And I called her a girlfriend from high school and she lost her mind and it was a a bad deal. I can only, I mean, you're definitely not with it. That's. No, I'm, I found out later that during the flight from where I was entered to the hospital nearest the medical aid station in Afghanistan, they had pronounced me a fallen angel, which is I mean, military speak for a fallen soldier. And they ended up radioing back and telling my platoon that I was gone. And then, I don't know, like seven, seven minutes later, they called him back like, oh, no, he's back. But everybody, I guess, was back there just bawling their eyes out and having a miserable time. I didn't know any of this was going on.
1: And those guys have to continue to go on with yeah they've still
2: got to do the day-to-day grind of being on a combat deployment while one of their soldiers one of their
0: brothers
1: yeah that i think that's one of the that's i i I don't know i can't even imagine
0: now did you you know um like actually die and then come back i know that's kind of silly when they said that they thought you were gone like did you actually You know, when you passed out, did you actually kind of flatline for a little bit and they had to bring you back? Do you have have any idea on that? I have no
2: idea. I know, um, I never got to meet the flight crew at that time. I think, uh, they were based out of New Mexico. Um, I've heard from them through other people, but I don't, I I assume I coded at some point on the flight back. Like I went, went to the other side for a minute or two and then came back and this this was something I never thought of like um, on all three deployments. you know I thought either I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do this deployment and I'm gonna come back fine, or I'll come back in a pine box. I didn't foresee the middle ground here. Right. I'll come back, but not with all of my physical self. right. So that was that was kind of odd. Even though it had happened to several people already, um, one of the guys in my sniper platoon, um, lost both of his legs probably a month before I did. And even then it was like, man, this is just what happens out here. And like, I never thought still it was going to be me. Never do. No, you never do. Now, as far as you're, so
1: now you're in the hospital, you've come to, um, but before you've come to, obviously there was surgeries and different things that they had to do to, to stabilize you and make sure you were going to be okay. Uh, how many surgeries did you have
2: and what was, you know, what was that process like from what you've been told? Um, I think it was around three dozen total. Most of that was just like, um, cause once every other day in the beginning, they would take me down to the operating room and literally just hose me off and clean off dead or dying skin. And just to make sure that I didn't get an infection or anything like go in there and just start scrubbing my open wounds and clean them up. And like I said, that was like every other day for a while. And then they'd go in and do revisions or whatever they had to do. But, um, I mean, I don't remember a lot of that. Yeah. Just because it was early on and I was so heavily medicated.
1: Now, when you came to, did you, when did you find out that you were going to, you know, you weren't no longer going to have your legs? Like, was that like when did that news get broken to you or was that something that they said, this is gonna be what's the next step now that you are come to or were, when you
2: came to like, you were like, whoa, like. Yeah, it was more like the ladder there. I came to and the first thing I noticed was my right hand. At that time I had um also took a chunk out of my arm here mm-hmm. and that, so there was a huge like bandage on that and this big styrofoam brace for my arm so I wasn't banging that open wound on anything and I just remember looking where the tape was wrapped here. I'm like, where in the heck are my fingers? Because I remember um, when the blast happened, I had the fingers cut out of my middle fingers, uh, pointer and thumbs on both gloves just for you know dexterity manipulating the gun or if I needed to get stuff out of my pocket or pack, I had that dexterity to get it without it slipping or anything. And I looked up and I could see like the fourth and fifth digits in my right hand, like the fingertips were just blown mushroomed out i'm like well at that time i was like i just lost the tips of my fingers this isn't that bad right and then i wake up in the hospital and i'm, I'm like where in the hell are my fingers And my mom said i just kept staring at my hand just looked at it right for like a half hour like trying to figure out where my fingers went because i saw them and then they were gone i also had um what they call an external fixator where they um screw rods into your your hips, mm-hmm. and then it's got a cross beam on it, just basically to hold me together, because the blast like fractured my pelvis and and um, it took a lot of the left leg, like the hamstring muscle, um, butt cheek basically, yeah, just shredded that, and um, that was the first thing I noticed because I've got this big metal contraption coming up out of my waist. I'm like, what in the world is this thing? And the doctor comes in and explains it to me. And then, you know, I start trying to move my legs, and it feels super weird. But it's still not all there because I'm still heavily medicated. It was—I mean, it was just a perfect mess. Yeah. You know, there's not really much going on. Well, there wasn't at that time for me. I was just so out of it from the blast, from the surgeries, from the medication, to just trying to lay and process everything. Like, well, this is this is wild. But through
1: all of it, as you can probably even hear, you know, just through you talking, telling this story, like you're, you've remained positive and upbeat the entire, I mean, you really don't have, I mean, how did you keep that, keep your spirit up as you're coming to and calling your wife by the wrong name? And obviously I'm sure your mom was probably torn to pieces. You
2: know, were you the one that kind of held the glue and held everyone together by your positive energy? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, when, when I first got there, the doctors were like, we don't really know what to do with this guy. We don't usually see people with injuries like this that are still alive. And that's what they had told my mom and uh, wife, well, now ex-wife. And then they said, don't be surprised if you don't ever see him walk again. His injuries are too severe for him to probably ever use prosthetics or be upright again. He's probably gonna be in a wheelchair. And I didn't know that the doctor had said that I was still out. And, uh, I guess it obviously upset my mom and my wife at the time, but they told me that later down the road. But I mean, in the beginning it was not easy. I mean, there were nights just laying there cause I couldn't sleep worth a damn until like three or four in the morning. And then as soon as I'd fall asleep, I'd have a nurse coming in to check my vitals and give me medication. It's just like, I wasn't sleeping, felt like crap. I had like a, feeding tube in because I couldn't, they ended up taking like three feet of my lower intestine. Mm-hmm. And uh, cause it was so scarred up from the concussion of the blast. And I, I wasn't having bowel movements. I couldn't eat or I just throw it back up. So I was just on a feeding tube for like a month or so. Just had this thing and a drain tube going up my nose, back down into my stomach to drain all the bile out. See, let me,
0: let me add a real quick a little humor to the situation. Cause I know this is, and this is great, great story. The where you, Josh, where you might have messed up? See, my previous girlfriend was Kristen. My now wife is Kristen. So that's where you should have (laughs) gone. You got it. So there's a learning lesson for anyone listening. Just in case anything crazy happens. Keep the names. Yeah, you need to date someone with the same name. So let's just take that as a learning lesson. You agree with that? I'll I'll take it.
2: I'll take take all advice.
0: No, but just to, to go back you know, so going from a fallen angel, Hey, this guy's not alive. Then he's living, then he's not going to walk. And then through this recovery process, obviously through the 36 surgeries, 19 months in, in that specific hospital. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you have the, as he said, the tenacity and in the ability, right. And you grind through and you figure out a way to now, obviously, be able to have prosthetic legs, walk, lift, a lot stronger than me and Calvin. By the way, watch that video of him lifting. It's insane. Love it. Very motivational. Thank you. But kind of walk us through then being so medicated, being so you know discombobulated, realizing you're lucky to be alive, then to a whole new life. When did you kind of make that step to that next step of
2: recovery of like, okay, hey, it's time to get to work to get back on my feet? Yeah, I mean, before I think, before anybody reaches that step where they, they get the motivation, there's always the point before that where things bottom out. It did for me. Mm-hmm. Like, um, laying there, couldn't eat like I was saying, and I would torture myself at night. I would watch the Food Network. Like- <laughs> Watching all this delicious stuff, like man, I can't wait to eat something. I'm tired of this feeding tube. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: I, so what were like? What were the food was just anything? Like you were like everything's like better that, than what I have now, or was it
2: like specific? You were like cravings, like that? Uh, pregnant cravings. Uh, I hear about diners, dives, and whatever oh, that, oh, guy's that guy's show. show. Yeah. yeah, that's what I watched a lot of. So whatever he was eating, I was wanting to eat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like to eat too, man. But and, um, um, that's a great show. Yeah, yeah, man. they like just laying there with all that time on your hands at night and just thinking like, man, this is my life now. Like you hit a low point. Like, is it even worth living? Well, I mean, what's the point of me carrying on like, like this without legs? What kind of life is this going to be for me and my wife? She, she doesn't deserve this. She didn't sign up for this. I'm the one who wanted to be in the Marine Corps. Um, yeah, you hit a super low point. Like, man, maybe if I just died in the hospital now, like, Everybody else's problems would go away. They get a little hook up with my insurance while I'm in the military and they could go and be happy and, you know, try to forget me, but I'm damaged goods at this point. What the hell good am I to anybody? Yeah. Something I wanted, myself? I wanted to ask you and, and, and
0: you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but did you ever contemplate, you know, suicide or not living anymore? Is that something that ever crossed your mind? Like I'm just, I'm, I'm fed up. Uh, Laying there in the
2: hospital. Yeah. That crossed my mind several times.
0: Yeah. And how how did you, if anyone that's battling in your situation, whether it's PTSD or depression, whether even something non, uh, something tragic that has happened, how do you, um, you know, persevere and and not take your life and, and say, Hey, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the most of my situation. How did you do that? how did you go from suicidal to then
2: perseverance? You just, I think you just gotta. It's all a mindset thing, you've got to find something to latch on to that you care about and you want to be around for. What was that for you? Um, at the time, it was just um, my wife and my family, yeah. and the fact that then I started thinking, you know, if I did that, then, then the bad guys win.
1: Yeah, that's what they want. Yeah.
2: That's what they, if they get the news that another service member has come home and killed himself after they severely injured me, then. That's a W in their book, and I was like, no, that's not gonna happen.
1: Can I ask a quick question? Um, How does, this might be a dumb question, but how does an IED get placed? Is that just something that they specifically will put in the ground, or how does that process work? Like, when it's, for you to go step on one, how is an IED, IED,
2: what is it and how is it? Uh, An IED is an improvised explosive device. It's usually homemade, they mine uh, specifically, when the EOD guys went out and did the post-blast analysis, said it was a, a crock pot, a pressure cooker. It's 10 pounds, 10 to 15 pounds of homemade explosive. They use it, uh, they make it out of fertilizer, just packed into um, a crock pot. They just bury it. And then they bury that and they run, um, they'll throw what they call a blasting cap in there with some lead wires running out. And they'll take those lead wires and usually... Um, attach those on either side of two boards and then they'll put something soft in the middle, like springs or, um, just or even tape just to keep the wires from making the connection. And then when you step on it, you complete that circuit and it's, it's instantaneous. And as soon as my foot went down, I was, I was airborne. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how, how, um, how high did you go airborne? Did they say? No, I don't know if anyone uh, knew because of the blast and had no idea. The only one who would have seen it would have been, uh, I was lucky to have him there. My buddy, Jeremy, he was our corpsman, our medic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two guys were ahead of me. He was behind me just taking a breather as I was going up to the alleyway. So if anyone would have seen it, it would have been him. But I mean, if there was a sec, a couple of seconds there where I felt weightless. So, yeah. Yeah. That's actually a great question.
0: I just assumed it was a little bit, I've heard different things and we were trying to talk in, you know, pre getting on the podcast of all the, all the different movies, whether shooter or saving private Ryan or yeah. any of those other ones and, uh, and um, try to figure out what's real, what's not from, from movies to actually reality. Um, but yeah, thanks for sharing the detail. I'm sure it's not easy to speak about it, but um, you know, I think it's good for people to understand the, how, how things happen. Cause I think there's so much lack of education on, on some of these things. And it's definitely appreciated of uh, being transparent. So you,
1: so you go through what, two, about two months
2: of uh, rehab or in the hospital or rehab. And um, I was in the ICU for just over five months. Okay. Yeah. Which is uh, usually longer than most guys. Yeah. Um, usually guys with two or three months in, they're already down in the, uh, rehab room, trying on their prosthetics and starting to get mobile again. But just due to the severity of my injuries and how bad I was banged up, it took me a little longer to recover. But, um, that was the big thing. Once I started doing the rehab stuff and going down to, uh, the matsy area, we called it. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's 20 to 30 other guys down there with missing limbs and they're out there getting after it. The competitiveness comes yeah. in. And it's all branches of the military are down there. Um, there was s- several, maybe six, seven guys that I knew that were there. Did you see the guy uh, that was in your platoon? Yeah. He was there? He was there and I met several other guys that I still talk to now. Yeah. We got our own little community. But um, yeah, that was motivational getting down there and just seeing everybody like, okay, so there is, there is something else out there. Like even for poor little legless me, I can get back at it. (laughs) (laughs) There was at the time, I think we had two guys that were quadruple amputees that were there and um, they're both doing great things now. They were doing great things then. Wow. But just seeing that, um, yeah, that motivates you and once I started doing that, once I got fitted for the prosthetics and finding out that the doctors told me, you know, told my family, I probably wouldn't walk again. Right. And then uh, I was like, yeah, we can do that. We can make this happen. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Then you, uh, so then you, you trans now, so now you're transitioning back into, you know, civilian life, obviously with a huge transition and, Trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be the next steps. Um, so then you, you you get you end up home, and you know what's what what happens next once you're you're back home and trying to really, I guess, feel it,
2: navigate and and start to understand, you know, what what all capabilities and things you're able to do. Yeah, that was uh, my biggest thing was just to get back to being as close to as independent as I was before the injury, mm-hmm. and um, going back, finally getting out of the hospital. Uh, was a big step for that because I just didn't like being up in the city in Bethesda DC area it was just too congested I just wanted to be out on my own and just doing my own thing for my own recovery and Going back home was perfect. We had a house that um, My wife had bought Like right after right before I got hurt like a month before I got hurt So I was like I was excited to come home to a new house and then that got put on hold for like another year and a half, but uh, I got back there and I was just like, all right, I'm just gonna do what I would do, like yeah. as if nothing was wrong. So I started push mowing the lawn. We only had like a quarter of an acre, a third of an acre, and it, man, it was a pain in the ass. At first, I'd break it down to like three sections, mow one section, sit down for like thirty minutes, <laughs> and I'd just be sweating like I just went under a waterfall, just. My whole body aches because I haven't done anything this physical in <laughs> almost two so years. I hate to admit
0: it. You did more than I've done in five years. Since I bought my house. He doesn't cut motor- the grass. I, don't, I, I, I believe in outsourcing, just like we're a staffing company here. I believe in outsourcing. So more power to you, brother. It doesn't surprise me one bit with meeting you and knowing your story that you're out there you gotta you know. stick to your guns.
2: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you gotta know what you do well, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, um, so then, so yeah, you're cutting grass, you're, you're trying to go back to- I'm, I mean, I'm going to, to the, the grocery, grocery by
2: myself again, like doing all the grocery shopping. Um, at that time, my wife was working, so I was home all day with the dog. It was just me and him hanging out. i do all the laundry, do the dishes, do, do all the housewife stuff, basically. But for me, that was great. I was doing something. Right. I was just living life again. Um, I told myself in the hospital um, that when I got out, I wanted to go back and finish my degree, my criminal justice degree. So that was one of the first things I did. I got out, retired from the Marine Corps in May of 2013. And in the fall of 13, I was back at school. That was kind of a weird transition, like wheeling into school. Like at that time, I would have been... uh, like 10 years older than most of the kids that were there. I was 28 then and going back to school. The OG like, coming back to yeah, school. Yeah. Yeah. Like happy Gilmore.
1: How did you deal with people, you know, looking at you? Obviously you got to probably go through, you know, people maybe looking at you weird. Was that ever an issue for you? Or are you just like, you know
2: what, this is what it is. Yeah. At first it was, um, you know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of daunting going out in public, you know, right now you're wheelchair bound. You kind of, you're kind of an oddity. Right. Um, but the biggest thing to that is just get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it won't be weird anymore. You right. get used to people like looking at you or kids saying, "Mommy, mommy, where'd his legs go?" and the mom grabbing the kid up and scurrying off because she's embarrassed. But you get over it. Then you just people ask you about it, and you, I don't have a problem sharing my story. Yeah,
0: no doubt. And then you went to school in North Carolina for a bit, right? Or was that or was that back up here in Wilmington?
2: No, yeah, that was in uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Jacksonville, North Carolina. Jacksonville, North Carolina. (laughs) outside of the Marine base.
0: And then uh, talk to us about the
2: transition back
0: home uh, to Wilmington.
2: Well, um, we didn't specifically know when that would happen until uh, we got a call from an organization called Homes for Our Troops that builds houses for severely wounded veterans. And um, they said, hey, we want to build you a house. Uh, come to the conference up in Foxborough, Massachusetts, and um, we'll see what you think. And then a week after the weekend conference, they're like, "Yeah, we selected you." So, and it's going to be a while, but down the road we'll start making plans, get the land, do some benefits, and then we'll build you a house. And um, that was really the big selling point there. When I found out that was going to happen, we're like, "Well, we probably need to move back to Wilmington, <laughs> Ohio, from um, Jacksonville, North Carolina." So we found a place and we're just renting that. And uh, we're only renting from probably two or three miles from where the house ended up being built. Yeah. So that was what drove me home. And then by that time I had finished, finished up my degree. And I like um it only took me a couple of months, if that, once I got home to find work at the sheriff's department. I went out there for an interview and left with a job that day. Man. All right, I mean everything just it's just started falling into place. Yeah, and you started helping out in the community, which
1: you do a lot in the community now, in public speaking um, and whatnot. And I know the competitiveness comes from uh, your father and your grandfather. Were they Marines as well? No,
2: the uh, grandpa was in the Army. Dad Army, was in the Air Force. Air Force, they were the military. Okay, yeah. So yeah. we've got we switch it up there. Gotcha. Got it all. Yeah, yeah, all I'm sure there's some uh, or some.
0: Interesting verbal conversations about the different branches of the military. I'm sure, and
2: always, you know, always, yeah. <laughs> There's always that competitiveness between the branches.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've heard that. I heard that. Had some uh, family in the military, and it's always, always chirping at each other. So that's that's good to know. It's good to know that the the Sam's household is is competitive. And I know a little bit about your background. Um, and I read some different things. Played a lot of sports growing up, right? and then uh, played linebacker at uh, Thomas Moore College here mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. Saw that you were a fiery uh, linebacker. So when, when I knew, and obviously going in the military and reading all your things, and I played with, I knew your mindset. Uh, if, if anybody, a lot of the guys I played with, just having that mentality of toughness uh, and hearing what your former coaches said about you. Um, did the sports help you in the military? in you know, persevering through some of the adversity, would you say, or?
2: Oh yeah, I would definitely say so. Just um, the work ethic and drive you need to be um, good at or competitive in sports, uh, especially football. And there's a toughness degree there, um, I think more than most sports, but in all sports there's a degree of toughness and um, mental, physical toughness you need, that's required to be competitive or good. And um, that plays perfectly into the Marine Corps as well. And, um, I, that kind of that stuff has always had a certain attraction for me. Just the grueling misery. I don't know. I think I'm a little crazy in that sense, but full metal jacket, I like to be miserable sometimes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. We, we, well, we both played, uh, football at Miami and then we saw you had the football background and, and you recently, you know, are you still helping out at Wilmington, local Wilmington college or no, not anymore. Okay. No, I saw you were coaching there a for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work, isn't it? It is, it's
2: a lot. Even for like a considered part-time or assistant. Yeah, it's, it's still It's grind. non-stop, there's yeah. the season, there's the off-season recruiting. It's on the go. Way yeah. more than, that went into it than I had imagined
1: i have, I do have a question, um, kind of regarding mental health. I know Kyle was at a conference, I believe, in the last couple of days, um, about mental health. Um, and it's a huge topic, you know, within the military. Uh in your opinion, what could they what could the what could they do um, you know, to better support those who deal with mental health,
2: you know, within the military? Uh, yeah, that's always been um a big issue. But I think it were, and you have to have communication on both sides. Mm-hmm. As I know a lot of veterans, they shut down talking to civilians because they're like, oh, these people don't know what we've been through. They can't help us. And I think, I mean, right there, you're getting started off on the wrong, wrong foot. foot. I mean, you got to be able to just tell people. They're not going to understand until you explain it to them. Mm-hmm. So that's, just, that's how that works. You have to have open lines of communication on both ends. Um, but I think the help's there. Yeah. I mean, I have never really had any major issues, getting anything I've needed through the VA or any kind of counseling or anything if I ever wanted it. Yeah. I haven't done any of that sort of thing, but it's always there. The resources are there. Um, but I think a lot of people, a lot of veterans, um, they don't want to reach out. Maybe they don't want to seem weak, but I mean, there's no shame in asking for help. I think if you need help, Uh, the resources are there. Now
1: in your, you said you have your core group of guys that, you know, that have gone through the same thing um, and that's a support system. Are there more support systems like that? Or do you, again, you think a lot of veterans shut down and don't even want to re- associate with other guys who are going through what they go through. You think there could be more support systems as well, or did you guys kind of form yours on your
2: own because you guys were there rehabbing together? How does that, you know? What you- yeah. We never really, no one really ever sought out to form that. It just kind of, That's what it manifested into. Yeah. Um, Even for guys, um, because we try to get, I try to get together and see veteran buddies of mine as often as possible. Mm -hmm. And you don't really set it up to be like a therapy session, but that's just what it becomes. Right. When you get all your guys back together and rehashing all the old memories, that in itself is therapeutic. And a lot of the times that's all they need is just somebody like that to hang out with.
0: That's perfect. Uh, if you hear it, there's there's a siren in the background, that's that you know what like, that means. That, that means, means time hot, hot, hot top yeah. hot topics. Here we go. So here we go. We we do each set each uh, episode. We do hot questions. <laughs> so with perfect. the siren, the local uh, what is it? The is First that, probably tornado
2: siren day yeah.
0: of the month. It's uh it's tornado siren time. So here we go. <laughs> got to love going on right here in the studio. <laughs> so uh, we have got a couple hot questions for you and. Uh, no, you're a big hunter. What's your favorite animal to hunt?
2: Uh, favorite animal to hunt, probably the one right in front of you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, not him. Hey, <laughs> not him. Black. Why are you helping him out, man? Hey, he's he's on the hot seat. Let's sorry. Go. Sorry, my bad.
2: <laughs> uh, probably like uh, bird or rabbit, something fast moving. Okay. So something difficult. That's yeah.
1: Sniper skill. Yeah. There you go. You can't use your sniper. I properly. like pheasant
2: hunting, dove hunting. Okay. Because they're quick flying around. It's a little yeah. challenging. Who, who's a,
0: here's one that's not on our list, but came up. And I want to ask you who's a better sniper, you or
2: the guy in the tower at the Saving Private Ryan? It's tough, but I think I'll tip my cap to him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I say okay. Do you? Okay. All
0: right. All that's right. like my favorite. We were talking before, Josh. Man, I, I, love, I give that's credit. Like my favorite where it's due. part of that movie, man, when that lefty's up there, and he's just going to town. So doing his thing,
2: doing his thing. I I just give him the nod because that was World War II, and it was just in Afghanistan.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean. <laughs> here, here here's a change of of pace. Here, your f- favorite dog, Clark or Luis?
2: Clark. That's my guy. Clark. Unfortunately, lost him a couple months ago. Oh. I got okay. another one, though, so. Okay. You still have Louise or no?
0: Laney? Laney, maybe? I right, okay. Lois Lane. Lois. Okay, there we go. Lois There Lois we go. Lane. I'm butchering it up, yeah. Yeah, that's all right. I got you. <laughs> but hey, R.I.P. Uh, Clark. It's brotherhood. brotherhood right here. He's got so What's your new dog's name?
2: Canyon. He's uh, a black golden doodle. Nice. Five months old. Uh, he just went in for his... Uh, neutering on monday mm. so he's not feeling so hot they still put those big uh the cone, shame. cone shame yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10 days in that guy oh <laughs> man he's a disaster going around the house now just knocking knocking around <laughs> yeah poor guy i, I feel oh. bad for him I feel yeah bad for him yeah
0: it's a necessity you gotta do it but man nonetheless you don't, you don't feel good for those <laughs> no i feel for bad guys.
2: for him yeah i also fear him because he'll come up and try to lick me and swinging that cone around and just smash you in the face with it. He, he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> All right,
1: moving on, moving on. Um, if you could pick
2: a place to go fishing, where would it be? Uh, I think I'd like to try out west somewhere, or even up in Canada. Okay. All right. Is it on the bucket list? It's right. on there. All right. Got to make it happen.
1: All right.
0: Yeah, I, I went. There's a guy we work with. He takes me on a fishing trip to to uh, Cumberland. Down in uh lake cumberland yeah lake cumberland in kentucky Mm -hmm. and i'm out on the water for literally like three days in like april cold very cold catch one fish (laughs) and i'm not the biggest fisher he's like oh you got to come down it's my parents place and so and so forth we get out there and i'm moving the troll you know he's like trolling and we got the little, um, and mind you, this is terrible. Anyone that's listening that's a fisherman's probably like, this guy's an idiot. But you have the little pads that are out there that you're just watching up and down to see if they pull down. I don't even know what they're called? And so all we're doing is we're trolling. And uh, no, it's not the bobber. Our production supervisor over here is saying bobber. It's the, uh, there's like little pad. I guess it would be like a different type of bobber. But they have like a certain, when you tr- when you troll it out, and then there's like the, Bob big bobber, I guess a little pad. So anyway, we'll call it Big Bobber. Big Bobbers. <laughs> big Bob. But I'm sitting there just watching these things all day long. And I'm like, dude. No like, action. Freezing cold. <laughs> yeah, freezing cold, no action. So I I truly my my other brother in law, he he's a fish. I people that fish, I have a good friend that fishes and like you guys got that patience. And I, I'm just I don't have it. So more power to you. We have to get you out west or up to Canada for sure. I've heard nothing but good things there. Um as I mentioned, uh, love watching the workout videos. What is your favorite lift or exercise
2: to do? Um, I don't know. Maybe I like pull-ups. I guess that probably stands for the military. What's your record? You know, I've never tested like on that. Okay. All right. well, I've never maxed out. Just say to Calvin more than you. <laughs> That's for sure. Prob, I would say so. I would say so too. Just- I would say so. Yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Um, yeah, I still go to the gym every day. I try to get in um, a mile on like uh, every other day and a half mile on those every other day that I'm not doing the mile. And you get a mile, a mile and a half in on the treadmill, pull-ups, push-ups, crunches, push the sled. I try to get away from the weights anymore. I tore my shoulder a couple years ago um, just trying to bench press. I got up near like 450 and then... I couldn't even like roll out of bed some mornings because my arm, I, sh- I didn't realize I had torn my labrum in my shoulder. And it just, I'd wake up and it'd be numb. And I couldn't even feel it. I had to like sling it to get out of bed. And I'm like, why, why am I doing this? I've been through <laughs> enough. Why am I trying to impress myself by pushing all this weight? I'm just tearing my body up more and it's already banged up enough. Yeah, like, quit being an idiot. Just. What is your uh, favorite thing about Wilmington, Ohio? Uh, just the atmosphere i guess i grew up there it's always been home it just feels like home Uh, they put on a huge benefit um when i was in the hospital early on and um it raised a lot of money that they turned around and gave to me and i mean just the people it's just a very welcoming homey warm community and they take care of their own
0: yeah and those that and we're very fond of the area. We're new, um, obviously based here in Cincinnati, but we opened a center in Wilmington. and It's been a community that's been nothing but great to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and those that don't know, Wilmington, Ohio is in between Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio, somewhat almost in between on uh, right off uh, 71, which is the main highway here in Ohio. But great, great community. Um, it's like the one thing I didn't know, they have like, it's like the world equestrian Center, yeah. Center, yeah. I, have you have you been inside that place? I have I not. Haven't, I haven't checked it out yet. No. So may, maybe we'll we'll we'll, we'll roadie up, take you to lunch, and we'll go check out some horses.
2: Yeah, you know I've never so. ridden one, so why not? We'll go up there and ride horses. You guys are on
0: your own there. No, you're, I don't ride horses. You you are you are riding a horse. Mm. Hey, mm. if this guy is doing what he's doing and going out of his all right, comfort all right, zone, all right, so you put it like time. It's time for throw you, that on you. It's time right, for you, right. You Got to step that? out of his comfort right. zone. He's afraid of getting on ice skates me too okay come on, man <laughs> he's afraid to ride a horse he's afraid to, to to skateboard true fact so that's actually what we need to get you to do we interviewed lily rice she was the first european to do a backflip in a wheelchair and she's part of the wcmx really really cool gal but she did a backflip in a wheelchair we can get I you to know. do that
2: I'll try it. It's probably not going to turn out. But (laughs) you're, but you're you're,
0: like you said, you've already done enough damage. Give me my helmet and let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And those that don't, uh, hopefully you can check out either on YouTube or or some of our video. We have a helmet here, uh, which is Josh's. And I don't know if you can see it. I don't know if you want to zoom in Patrick, but there is still pick it up here. There's still dirt. So don't worry if you have dirt in your house because it's still on Josh's helmet. What, uh, seven years from going on eight years, going on eight years. So, um, it's amazing. Um, appreciate you bringing in this, this helmet of yours that you went through, um, you know, this event in, in your life. And it means a lot. And, um, you know, so thankful as we come to a conclusion, um, you know, so thankful for your service and the commitment that you made and and us, on Veterans Day, um, there's no better person. You're one of the baddest dudes on this planet, and you should know that. Um, sorry you went through everything you've had to go through, but obviously it happened to someone that can persevere. So you're an inspiration to us all and just very thankful for your service. So, um, Calvin, I don't know if you have anything else. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, it's Kyle. He- he said everything man thank you for for your service and, and taking time to come down here and, and sit with us two knuckleheads and record on the udp but uh definitely you know want to share your story um i know uh nita has said that you are a hometown hero and i know you you know you're uh, you're very humble but that definitely is is true man so continue doing what you're doing and, and spreading your word man because it's we all, I said this the other day, we all have things that was going on in our lives and we all wear a mask, but you know, for you to be able to open up and, and be able to share your story is, is truly an inspiration,
2: man. So thank you, uh, truly mean that. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. That's been fun. I've enjoyed the time together. Good stuff. And how can people follow you or anything
0: that you're supporting? Um, you know, whether it's on social media or any pages, any fun, you know, any, any organizations you're part of, what, what can they do to support you know,
2: the, uh, cause of supporting veterans or anything like that. Uh, yeah. just, uh, you can follow any of that through my social media or, um, I mean, just jump on YouTube and you can research it. There's all kinds of things out there. Just, uh, I like the organization that built my home. They take donations year round, nonstop. Um, another one that's been really good for me or to me as a Semper Fi fund. Um, mainly that one's for, um, Marines only, but they, uh, there's another one. America's Fund that is for all branches, but uh, that one, Simplify Fund, America's Fund, Homes for Our Troops. Yeah, those uh, would be the go-to.
0: Sounds good. And let's start it ourselves. So UDP donate at least a hundred dollars to to the cause of your choice. Um, UDP Nation starting to grow. Um, spread the word. You know, we'll 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 let the our our platforms know where we're going to put our our dollars, but we're going to support you in the great cause and, and anything we can help you as you continue to go through. We're not too far away from you. Um, and, uh, if it, I'm sure you're going to do great things at the sheriff, but if not, there's a, there's a center right near you. You know, you got a job with us any day of the, any day of the week, year, whatever you call us and, and we would love to, to help you in any way. And thanks for everything you're doing in that community and really across the country and the world. Um, you know, we want to support, Uh, folks like yourself and spread awareness. So thank you so much again. Thank you guys. All right. Thanks for listening to the underdog podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google podcast apps and send our Twitter handle, a screenshot of your rating at underdog pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the U D P.